Oops, lights go up. It's like whoosh. It's classic. Hey, uh, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for uh, Sundays. Thank you for the great privilege you give us to gather together in freedom. I'm very mindful of our brothers and sisters in places like Iraq and really so many other countries that they can't gather like this uh, without fear of persecution, fear of imprisonment, fear of death. And we take all that for granted. So thank you for the freedom that we have to gather together to, to worship, to open your word. Thank you for the freedom we have to tell our friends about Jesus. Thank you for the freedom we have to open your word and have no fear of retribution. So thank you for that. Help us to be good stewards with the freedom that you've given us. As we move into this portion of the service, I just pray that you would clear away the distractions. Help us to be mindful of the things you want us to be mindful of. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, um, a quick note, kind of something that's near and dear to me. As most of you know, we have an uh, ongoing partnership with an organization called uh, Eagle Children's Charities, an uh, organization that's been partnering with Grace for over 15 years now. We serve about 2,000 kids in sports, and we take the kids, some of the kids to camp, and we also have a pretty cool tutoring program that happens right here in the building, literacy tutoring. And uh, two things I want you to know that's coming up. We have a run that's going to take place on the 20th. And uh, we would love for you to participate in that. And some of you are saying, well, I'm not a runner. That's fine. If you can walk 3.1 miles, then uh, you can be there and help participate. It's usually, uh, it equals over 10% of our annual budget. So being there and helping us out is great. So sign up for that. Uh, bring a friend to that. Get some people to pledge and uh, uh, help us raise some money for the run. That would be awesome. You can just stop at the information counter. Terry will be there. And he can... Uh, uh, sign you up for the run. And then the other thing that we need is we need mentors. We have a record number of kids already coming into the program uh, for the tutoring program, which is awesome, and we should clap for that. Uh, so these are young kids that come out of Detroit, Harper Woods, Gross Point, that need help learning how to read. It's a one-on-one mentoring program, and we need mentors. If you mentored in the past, we'd like to make sure that you're coming back uh, so stop and let Colleen know she has a kiosk back there. If you haven't mentored, we'd love for you to sign up. It's one hour a week, uh, and it's really just maybe one of the best hours you can give to change the trajectory of a, a young person's life. It's really an awesome thing. Uh, just on a note, we have about 80% boys in the tutoring program uh, and nowhere near that many guys. Uh, we have much more female mentors than males. So guys, um, I'd love for you to step it up and be there just so that they can uh, have that presence in the room as well. So, it's September. Where did summer go, huh? Seems like it was a, a blip on the map. Uh, I don't know how many of you are without power. Yes, I'm sorry, I'm without power too, so if my shirt's buttoned sideways, you'll know why. Uh, getting dressed in the dark, it's been a bit of an adventure. I kind of like it, it's kind of like camping, um, but hoping the power comes on soon. Hey, this week we're starting a three-week series we're calling On Purpose. And the funny thing is, I thought of the name of the series and started thinking about the, the name of the series on purpose, and I began to think, I don't know that I've ever really thought about what it means when we say we do something on purpose. Have you ever thought about, like, how many phrases we use, words we use, and never stop to think, well, what do they actually mean? Well, if you do something on purpose, you're doing it for a purpose. You decided to do it because you meant to do it, because you expected something to happen because you did it. I did it on purpose. And so we want to talk for the next few weeks about how we live out our lives as Christians on purpose. How do we actually live for a purpose? How do we live in such a way that there is a purpose? Well, how do we do church on purpose? So we kind of want to help you to understand some of the things we do around here uh, and to let you know that a lot of what you see, a lot of what goes on, it doesn't just happen the way it happens. We're doing it on purpose and for a purpose. 
In 1 Corinthians, Paul said, therefore, I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I don't fight like I'm a boxer beating the air. He's just saying, I'm intentional. He's saying, I live my life in such a way to achieve a particular outcome. I know what I'm doing, and I know why I'm doing it. I live on purpose. So we have a mission here at Grace, and a lot of you know what our mission statement. We are? I love that. Let's do it one more time. We are? Right, so the idea of being a mosaic, being economically diverse, being racially diverse, being, being diverse in age, being diverse in our, in our religious upbringings. We have people from all different backgrounds and, uh, and traditions religiously, and we know that that creates complication in the church. We know that it makes church in some ways harder, but we also know that that's what God has called us to be. He's called us to be a mosaic striving to live like Jesus. So there are things that we do on purpose. You'll find that there's different worship sets, that different Sundays of worship will feel different on, from one Sunday to the next. That's, that's done on purpose to help us to, to relate to our entire mosaic. Now, some churches, I had this conversation yesterday with a, with a pastor in New York, actually, and he was telling me that they have three services. They have a traditional service, which probably means they do hymns, and it's very traditional, and it probably means that it's a somewhat older crowd. And then he said they have a contemporary service, and a contemporary service probably is younger. And then they talked about that they have this youth service. So he has, there's three services there. And then he had a fourth service that I wish I could remember the name because I remember when he said it, I thought I have no idea what you're talking about. But I didn't really ask him. I don't want to be too mean, but I wasn't sure I really cared because at that point I was talking about all these different services and it was confusing me. So they've decided they're going to be a mosaic, but they're not going to go to church together which is fine, and I'm not, I'm not dishing on what other churches are doing, but what we've decided is, no, we're going to do it together. We're actually going to be in the room at the same time, young and old. And you know what? That makes it kind of complicated, but we like the complicatedness. We like the fact that we're kind of entering into each other's stuff and trying to figure out how do we relate to each other better. And so, so we live our lives on purpose as a mosaic, striving to live like Jesus. So what I want to ask you is, is as a church, as, as individuals, what do you think our purpose is? What is our purpose? What is the purpose of the church? What is your purpose? What is the mission? What is your mission individually? What is our mission corporately? Just think about the question for a minute. What is our purpose? Well, I think our purpose, simply put, is to make God known. You are chosen by God to know God, but you're chosen by God to know God so that you can make God known to others. Being God's chosen people, that's what it meant, chosen to represent God. So you are selected, you are handpicked, not only to know God, but to make God known. And so it stands to reason that the purpose of the church is to make God known. That we have this mission of making God known more and more. So as we studied through Philippians a few months ago, and we studied through 1 Peter here in the last few weeks, what we saw over and over and over is as I come to a place where I know God, it changes my behaviors. That my ability to walk in obedience with God is directly related to my ability to know God. That if I know God more and more and more, that will change the way I behave. That we usually don't have, we don't have a sin issue, we have a knowing issue that is played out in the area of sin. When we sin, it's because we really don't know 
all that God has for us. We don't know the love of God. So our job is to make God known. Or another way of saying that, if you were to use Jesus' words, when he was talking to his disciples, one of the last instructions he gave them in his earthly ministry, in Matthew 28, 19, he said, Therefore, and go, make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We're commanded to make disciples. And the only way to make a disciple is to make God known. That's where it all starts, right? If you want somebody to be a disciple, you would start with, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about a God who loves you beyond your wildest imagination. So we make God known, and as people become more and more, God becomes more and more known, people become more and more like disciples. But what does a disciple look like? Or said a different way, what does a person who is growing look like? We have this character, if you will, that we use at Grace, and uh, we're going to put him up on the screen. I don't know if any of you know who this is. Um, He's not the slippery when wet guy, because that would be the slippery when wet guy. So our guy, he looks like this. Who knows what he he is? That's Joe Grow. Now, for some of you who are, like, feeling a little offended because you're a woman, that's Josephine if you want to be Josephine, or it's Joseph if you want to be Joseph. He probably looks a little bit more like a Joseph, but the point is, that's Joe Grow, and we're not trying to be gender specific here. But we began to ask a question as leadership, what does it look like for Joe to grow? What would we see if someone were becoming a disciple of Christ? What would we be able to, to actually see and, and see evidence of in a person who was growing? So we, we began to ask ourselves this question, and, and we began to think of different ways that we think that we, we see people growing. And, and one of the ways that we may think that people are growing is, is when they start to use something I would call Christianese. You know what Christianese is? It's like, it's all of the language that we use that nobody outside of the church has any idea what we're talking about, but you become proficient. We have an insider language. Someday I'm going to preach a whole sermon on the dangers of insider language. For one thing, when people are new to the church, they, they haven't a clue what we're talking about. And, and I'll be honest with you, I don't think we have a clue a lot of times what we're talking about either. But I wanted to make, I wanted to make Christianese easier for you, so I actually have an instructional video for you to help you out with your Christianese. I'm talking about Christianese. You need to learn how to speak it and fast. Talk that talk so people know that you walk that walk. Thankfully, Christian speak is just a rebranded version of things that you already say. In this video, I will provide you with the tools you need to sound like a sold-out Christian. Oh, actually, that's a good place to start. You see, when you're a Christian, the term sold out basically means the exact opposite of what you're used to. Because you're used to it being a bad thing. Man, you know that band that we love? Yeah? They signed a major record deal and they sold out! No! But when you're a Christian... Man, you know that Christian band that we love? Yeah. Man, they're sold out for Jesus Christ. Amen, hallelujah. And now that you're a Christian, obviously you have to start going to church. And you used to be able to get away with saying stuff like it's too long or it was boring, but you can't say stuff like that anymore. If you want to convey that church went too long, just simply use the phrase, Wow, the spirit was really moving this morning. At least put a positive spin on it. I mean, ten courses of mighty to save and five key changes. It was (laughs) alright. Come to the front! Oh, and say bye-bye to those secular hangouts with your friends. Now you call it doing life. Selfie time! <laughs> oh, 
I love getting to do life with my girls. And don't think that just because you're a Christian, you have to stop gossiping. Heckles, no. We just call them prayer requests. Hey, guys, you might want to be praying for Rhonda. She's been talking about people behind their backs. Isn't that what you're doing right now? No. You're stupid. You might want to be praying for her, too. She's been backsliding. Oh, and if some fellow believer asks you to do something and you don't want to do it, but you don't want to tell them that you don't want to do it, just tell them that you'll pray about it. Yeah. You know, the one that bugs me the most is uh, do life, because I say that all the time. Like, when we watch the video, everybody's like, oh, you say that. Now I can't say it anymore, so I'll come up with something different, I hope. But anyway, so we may think because somebody can talk the talk, oh, they must be growing. So is Joe Grow somebody who can talk the talk? Another thing that we may look at is we may find somebody who knows a lot of Bible. They've studied the Bible. They've learned the Bible. They've memorized lots of Bible verses, and, and they quote Bible verses all the time. And we could easily say, well, well, that's a person that's growing in Christ for sure. That, that would be a good picture of Joe Grow. Or, or maybe it's just somebody that's highly ethical. Right? You know what I mean by that? They, just, they live a good life. They make good decisions. They don't steal. They, don't, they, they, they say nice things about people. They just have a high standard of, of ethics. And we can say, well, that person's definitely Joe Grow. That's what it would look like. Or, or maybe it's just somebody who serves a lot. I think we make this mistake all the time. We think because people are really busy and they serve in a in hundred different places in the church and they're going at a million miles an hour, we're saying to ourselves, well, look at how much that person's growing because they're serving everywhere. Everywhere I go, I see that same person. They must be growing, right? Or, or what if they just give a lot to the church? That would certainly mean that they're growing in Christ. And you know, the truth of the matter is, apart from the Christianese thing, which I actually have a little pet peeve about Christianese, but apart from that, all those other things are good things, aren't they? That we would learn our word, that we would serve, they're all good things. But the truth is, they don't really capture the heart of what it means for someone to be growing in Christ. And so if we don't know what it looks like, how do we begin to work towards it? How do we begin to be purposeful? How do we live on purpose if we don't know what it looks like to grow? So the question that we're going to answer with the rest of our time is what it really looks like to grow. And we're going to use the words of Jesus to figure that out. So grab your Bible and open to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. We're going to read verses 46 through 49. Luke 6 46 through 49. And if you have a Bible that has Jesus' words in reds, you'll notice that the entire page probably in your Bible or, or the few sections in your Bible prior to this are all red because Jesus is, is giving a long sermon at this point. He's, he's really laying down a lot of stuff. And then he gets to this point and he says this words in verse 46. It says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like, who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid a foundation on rock. When the flood came, the, the torrent struck the, the house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and it was in its destruction was complete. Jesus has just delivered the Sermon on the Mount. 
He just got done turning the, the way people think on their heads. As a matter of fact, he took all of the religious thinking of the day and completely turned it upside down because in, the day, in that day, to, to, to walk with God kind of was a, a tit-for-tat religion. You know what I mean by that? They actually believed that whatever happened to you was because of whatever you did. So if you suffered, it's because you did bad things. If you were sick, it's because you sinned. If you, if you had any kind of affliction, it was because you sinned. If people persecuted you, it's because you sinned. Everything was related to what you did, and God is responding to what you did. And Jesus gets up, and he does a sermon on the mountain. He said, no, blessed are you when you're persecuted. Blessed are you when you mourn. Blessed are you when you go through hard times. And he's turning everything they think on its head. And then he says to him, let me tell you, you're supposed to love your enemies. And he talks to him about how to bear fruit. He goes through this, this long sermon and, and really lays it out for him, what it means and what the kingdom of God is really like. And then in the very end, he, he uses these words kind of as a summary statement. What he's really saying is, look, there are only two groups of people in the world. If we read the same account in Matthew, Matthew says there's either wise people or there's foolish people. There doesn't seem to be any gray area in what Jesus is teaching. You're either wise or you're foolish. You're either the, the wise builder or the foolish builder. You have a, either have a good foundation or you have no foundation at all. He doesn't seem to paint a picture of somebody who has an average foundation. It's either good or it's bad. It's either wise or it's foolish. So look at verse 47. Verse 47, he says, I will show you what he is like who comes to me, hears my words, and puts them into action. Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to show you. Now, he didn't say this. I don't want anybody to mis- misquote He didn't say, I'll show you what Joe Grow looks like because they didn't know Joe Grow like we know Joe Grow. But he is saying, this is what Joe Grow would look like. This is what it looks like to grow. And he says, if anyone comes to me, it all starts with Jesus. It all starts with us coming to Jesus. It starts and it ends with Jesus. Nothing can be accomplished outside of the work of the Spirit in us. It's so important that you hear this, because if you're not careful, you can come to grace every Sunday, and you can listen to the sermons, and you can listen to us teach through Philippians, and you can listen to us teach through First Peter, and you can be making a list of what you're supposed to do, and you can hear a self-help theology. If you don't listen, if you don't understand what we're teaching, you can just get good tips for how to live differently. But this is not a self-help thing. This is not a pull yourself up by your bootstraps sort of thing. That's not the theology we teach. The theology we teach is that the Spirit of God lives in you. That the Spirit of God is the only thing that can bring real change in you. That you need to cooperate with the Spirit at work in you. Philippians says, for it is God, or some translation says the Spirit of God, who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. In order to live on purpose, in order to live into your purpose. The Spirit of God has to be at work in you. It all starts with Jesus, allowing the living God to work in and through you. Now, with all of that being said, with all of that, I hope, being fairly clear, it requires that we cooperate with the Spirit. In other words, we have the ability to squelch what the Spirit is trying to do. We can put a blanket over what God wants to do. We can snuff out the work of God in our own lives. So there's something required of us. As the Spirit of God begins to work in us, there's something required of us to cooperate with what the Spirit is doing. Life change, spiritual formation, is always a work of the Spirit. Always. But we need to learn to cooperate 
with the Spirit. So when Paul is writing his letters and he talks about beating his body into submission and, and running the race and, and striving for all those words help us to see that Paul was participating. He actually says that you need to work out your own salvation. And if we're not careful, we think that means work for your salvation. But of course, it's not what Paul means because we see the rest of his writings. He believes in grace. He believes we're saved by grace. What he's saying is you need to work with the Spirit to become the person that God has called you to be. God wants you to be more and more and more like his son. And the only way to do that is to cooperate with this Spirit thing that's going on inside of you. So that's when we look at our mission statement that we just quoted. It's we're a mosaic striving. That's what the striving is all about. It's the cooperating with the Spirit. We don't want you to hear, we're a mosaic working hard. We're a mosaic trying hard. We're not working and trying. We are striving with the Spirit of God to be the people God has called us to be, to be like Jesus. So look at verse 47 again. He says, I'm going to show you what he's like. He's the one who comes to me and hears my words. Let's talk about hears my words for a moment. Another way you could say this is everyone who comes to me and listens. Or the message actually says, if, if you work my words into your life. I love that. That's just a, a good visual for me. So how many of you know that you can be with somebody, and they can be talking, and you cannot be listening? Every wife in the room is nodding her head right now, <laughs> right? Because you've sat there, and you've talked to your husband while he's watching football, and his head is actually nodding, and you realize he has no idea what I'm saying. I know that I'm in trouble every time Meg says to me, are you listening to me? busted every single time. So I have a little confession I want to make, and um, Meg was here the first service, and I made sure to apologize for this confession as I made it, so just know that I don't say this proudly, but um, Meg and I have a date night, that part I'm proud of, and if you're married, you need to have a date night once a week. You need to write that down somewhere. You need to stop thinking about doing it and just have a date night. That's not my point. The point is we have a date night. What we like to do most is we like to go out to eat, and we like to talk. We like to sit across a great meal and have a great conversation, but God forbid that there is a TV in the room. And if that TV, I will be very intentional now of seeing where the TVs are and sitting with my back to the TV because if I can see that TV in any of my peripheral vision and it does not matter what's on the TV, it could be reruns of Gilligan's Island and Meg could be telling me the most important thing in her life and I'm going, oh, sorry, amen. You're right, every guy in the room knows what I'm talking about. I'm ADD, but that, I'm telling you, and I'm just shocked at what's on the TV and why do I care, but I'm still totally distracted by the TV. And you know, the point in telling you that is, that really is my walk with God. I come to Jesus and I want to listen to Jesus, but I start to listen and then I... Everything distracts me. And you know what the thing is? It's good things that often distract us. They're not all bad things. They're good things in our lives that, that take our attention. I had this conversation with somebody this weekend as we were together. We went to a funeral together and we were just talking about God. And she was talking about how she loves this summer because she seems to connect with God more in the summer because she's not as busy. And what she's really saying is I'm not as distracted. I'm not as ADD in the summer because I can, I can rest. I can quiet down. and I seem to hear God more. We need to figure out how to hear God more. We need to figure out how to be less distracted. We have to figure out how to, how to turn off the TVs around us so that we can focus on what the Spirit of God is trying to do in us so that we know what he's saying. We have to develop this listening skill. The fact of the matter is we have to move the distractions away, but we also have to stop talking right? 
So, so if your prayer life really consists of you talking to God, when are you ever listening to God talking to you? I had this interaction with a, a friend just, just the last couple of weeks, and, and we went out, and this is a guy, he kept asking me great questions, and I would even think when he was asking my question, oh, that's a great question. And I would start to answer the question, but I'd get like a sentence or a sentence and a half in, and he'd interrupt me, and he would then start talking about himself. And at the end of the day, we spent almost the whole day together. At the end of the day, I was very aware he really knows nothing about me. He asked great questions. He spent the day with me, but he never listened to any of my answers. I, I'm sure that he, he learned nothing new about me. The fact of the matter is, is, is we're all guilty of that when it comes to God. We go to God and we talk and we talk and we talk, but how often do we stop and just listen to the Spirit of God? So I want to talk a little bit about how God talks to us, just so we have that, and then we're going to do a little exercise, but, but God speaks through his word. God speaks through his written word. So, so when we teach through books of the Bible, that's intentional. We do that on purpose so that you become more and more familiar with how to navigate scripture so that you in your own time can sit at home and study the word and read the word and get things from the word that help you to know how God is talking. When you're reading the scriptures and something is crystal clear to you, when it makes sense to you, you know that's God talking. Because if you didn't know Jesus and it wasn't God talking to you, this is all foolishness to those who are perishing. So when it makes sense, it's God's talking, and you should celebrate, and you think, hey, God just spoke to me. I understand what God is saying in the scriptures. That's why when you start reading the word, you should always start by just saying, God, help me to, to understand. Use your spirit to explain to me what it is you want me to hear in your word today. When you hear the word preached, when you're reading the word, and you think, that is written just for me, that was just for me, that's the spirit of God speaking to you. So he speaks through his word. He speaks through his spirit. There are times when you hear a word in your spirit where you have a, a sense of something, where you hear God prompting you to stop doing something or to start doing something. There is this active spirit in us that speaks to us. God speaks through other people. That's why we think it's so critical that you do life. I know, I don't have a new word yet. Give me some time. But that you actually spend time with other people in community, that you do life together because when the body comes together, we, we encourage each other. We, God speaks to me and I speak to my friend. And I just, I just had this great conversation with a woman who was talking about being in Best Buy of all places and a stranger came up to her and encouraged her about an upcoming surgery that she was going to have and that person would have no idea about the surgery. Is that not the spirit of God or what? Sometimes God uses someone else to speak into our lives. So God uses the body. God uses circumstances in our lives to speak to us. I had a great conversation with a young woman this week, and she basically explained to me how all of her life circumstances were lining up for this major decision that she had to make. And then she said, and I called a few of my close friends to be praying with me and for me, and I've sought their counsel. So she's listening to what the, the other people in her lives, and she said, and I really feel like God has affirmed that I'm supposed to do. she's going to make a major decision about her career based on all of those different areas coming together. She's listening to the Spirit of God in our lives. So the question isn't, is God speaking? The question is, are we listening? Because God is speaking. God is always speaking. You know, God was speaking before you ever came to know Jesus. Otherwise, you never would have come to know Jesus. God was pursuing you. God was speaking to you, even when you were far from him. God is always speaking, but are we learning to listen to God? Are we learning to pay attention to God's words? What I want to do for the next few minutes, um, and I know this is going to be really uncomfortable for some of you. Some of you, it'll just be fine. Um, but I, I'm going to ask first that you trust me. Uh, for some of you, you're pretty new at grace, um, and I would still ask that you trust me. Nothing bad is going to happen to you in the next few minutes. 
but I'm going to ask them to dim the lights. And I'm asking them to dim the lights mainly so that you're not distracted. There's nothing uh, spiritual about darker lights. It's really just done. You can go ahead and bring the lights down if you don't mind. Um, but, but we're going to dim the lights so that you're not distracted by anybody else. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm going to ask you to put your hands in your lap with your palms up. Just as a way of saying to God, I am open to whatever you have for me in the next couple of minutes. There's nothing magical about it. It's just a way of saying, God, I'm open to you. So you can put your hands right in your, on your knees or in your lap, just with your palms up as an expression of openness to God. And then I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to give you some words to pray. And then we're going to sit in silence. And for some of you, the silence will be tough, but I'm just, again, asking you to trust me. So before we pray, I'm going to encourage you to take a deep breath. And as you take a deep breath, imagine breathing the Spirit of God in. Take a deep breath. As you exhale that deep breath, just think about letting go of all the distractions that you brought into this room. All of the struggles you had just getting here, and maybe the fight you had with somebody this morning or this weekend. Just let that go. Take a deep breath. Breathing the Spirit in. Take a long exhale. Breathing the distractions out. Lord, I pray right now that you would speak to your people. I pray right now that you would give people a word or an image that you would speak. Reveal yourself to your people as we sit here and listen. As you're sitting there, just say to the Lord, Lord, what do you want to say to me? Lord, what do you want me to hear today? Lord, I ask that you would teach us to listen. That you would teach us to tune in to your still small voice. That you would help us to do away with the distractions. That you would help us to stop talking and listen to your spirit. 
thank you for this brief moment to just turn our eyes towards you and listen to what you would have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. For some of you, uh, that was very difficult. I get that. For some of you, that's the most quiet you've been this year, <laughs> or maybe this week. The idea of sitting quietly creates something uncomfortable for you, and I would encourage you to face that discomfort, to really ask the Lord, what's that all about? Why is it hard for me to sit quietly before you? Some of you heard a word. I have no doubt about it. I, I, I guarantee you that the Spirit of God is moving in this room. Some of you heard a clear word from God. It may have been a word. It may have been a phrase. It may have even been an image where you saw yourself doing something, and you realize that God wants me to have that conversation. Even though I don't want to have the conversation, God is prompting me, or God wants me to do something, or God wants me to stop doing something, or God wants me to know something about himself. Some of the people shared what they heard in the first service. It's an amazing thing when we stop to listen how the Spirit of God, who is alive and active in our lives, speaks to us. But the question is, are we going to stop? Are we going to listen? God speaks. Are we going to tune in? Are we going to listen to what he has to say? So go back to Luke 6.47. Jesus says, I show you what this looks like. He's the one who hears my words, who comes to me, who hears my words, and puts them into practice. And that's the third thing we need to hear today. That there's this picture of obedience that Jesus is talking about. He says, anyone who hears my words and puts them into practice. It's really where the rubber meets the road. The scriptures actually say it's better to obey than to sacrifice. Yes, it's better to obey than to sacrifice. But the problem is we need to unpack what it means to obey. Because for the history of the church, we've managed to mess this one up pretty good. You see, whenever the church began to focus on the, on the, the idea of obedience, even before Jesus, when they would focus on the idea of obedience, that they would, they would shift from this relational connection to God. And in, in life of, of doing life with God would become an idea of lists and following rules. And something would sink into the religion, which is called legalism. Legalism simply refers to an overemphasis on discipline and conduct, emphasizing the letter of the law at the expense of the Spirit. The fact is, it's easier to make a list. It's easier to grab your Bible and write down the do's and don'ts that are in there and say, if I just do these things and if I just don't do these things, then I'll be a growing Christian. That's easier to do. But the problem is, none of us can keep the list. We are incapable of living out all that the scriptures have for us. So Jesus invites us into an ongoing living relationship, a, a relationship with, that, is, that is bathed with grace and understanding that we're going to screw up, but that we can come back to him and that he's going to continue to help us to understand who he is more and more. And we become more and more holy as we live out our knowing of God. But it's not about following a list of rules, a list of do's or don'ts. It's so much more than that. We have to be careful not to slip into this legalistic tendency. And I want to challenge you because some of you could be listening today and say, well, does that mean I can just do whatever I want? Is Doug preaching that the do's and don'ts don't matter? Of course not. The Bible is full of things that we should and shouldn't do. And God wants us to live in that. He even says, be holy as I am holy. The point is, we also know that we can't. So we have to live under the grace of Jesus Christ. We have to know that we are bathed in grace. We have to know that we're going to screw up. And we have to keep coming back to Jesus saying, help me understand who I am. Help me understand who you are. Help me to love you more and more and more. We cannot be good enough. 
You remember the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You see, they, they decided that the best way to approach God was to live by the list. And so they took the law, and then they wrote a list of ways that you could keep the law with more laws. And then they wrote lists about those, and there were lists about lists about lists about lists. It became such a burden. And so when Jesus was talking to them, they said, your way of approaching God, your way, Pharisees and Sadducees, of approaching God is a heavy burden for the people. As a matter of fact, he said it's a heavy yoke. You know what a yoke is, right? It was what they, they put on the oxen to pull the, the wagon, to pull a heavy load. He said, what, what you have laid on the people is a heavy load. And then he looked across the room at his followers and he said, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, all you who are tired of trying to follow the list, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. For my yoke is light. My yoke is light, and in me, you're going to find life. He said, look, I'm not about following the list. If you follow me, you're going to have freedom. You're going to have joy. It's not about this legalistic thing that you've been taught. The problem is, in our American sort of traditions, the, the conversation about obedience gets skewed pretty fast. You see, we believe in democracy, we believe in freedom, we believe in, in independence, and all of that sometimes warps our thinking. And, and honestly, when I say the word obedience, some of you feel oppressed. You feel like, well, I don't want to be obedient to everything because nobody should be allowed to tell me everything I need to do. And it feels like a dictatorship or it feels like some sort of oppression laid over you. But that's because we don't really understand what it's all about. So, so what is it that keeps us from being obedient to God? The only thing that keeps us from being obedient is fear. But the scriptures say what? It says, perfect love casts out all fear. How many of you know that verse? Perfect love casts out all fear. It's a pretty common verse. Most of us have memorized it at one point or another. But how many of you know the context of that verse? Perfect love casts out all fear. It's from 1 John. We're going to start teaching 1 John at the end of September, and I'm super excited about it. But in 1 John, he's talking about loving God and loving others, which is what? It's the heart of the law. Jesus said, if you just love God and love others, everything else is going to fall into place. And so John's saying, love God and love others. But just so you know, it's really scary to love God and love others. It's really scary to give your life away. It's really scary to put yourself out there. I understand all that. And then he said, but I, I know it's scary, but you know what? Perfect love casts out all fear. The more you know God's love, the more you can enter into that. The more you, you know God's love, the more you love God, and the more you're able to love others with a supernatural sort of love. He says, perfect love casts out all fear. So our job as a church, our, your job as a follower of Christ is to know God more and more, to know the love of God more and more, and to live into your obedience as followers of God. And here's the paradox. And I just think it has to be said. The paradox. You know what a paradox is? It's, it's kind of a, something that doesn't seem to make sense, but it does. That, that there is freedom in slavery. That what Jesus is saying, if you want absolute freedom, if you want life, if you want a solid foundation, then you need to be obedient to me. Paul said, I'm a slave to Christ. But yet Paul was free. He said, the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. There is this paradox of, of freedom that's found in being totally obedient to Jesus. Not because you made a list, but because he loves you more than you can think and more than you can imagine. And when you know that love, you're willing to take the risk and move into the thing that he's calling you to do because you know it's best for you. I had this conversation with one of my sons uh, recently, and, and he, was, he was going to make a decision. 
and we were talking about it, and I didn't think it was a wise decision, I didn't think it was a good decision, and so we talked, and he told me why he wanted to make it, and I told him why I didn't think he should make it, and he told me why he wanted to make it, and I told him why he shouldn't, and you, if you've ever been a dad, you kind of know how this goes, right? But we were, there was no arguing, there was no heat in the, in the conversation, it was, it was a conversation, but I finally had to say to him, I had to say, son, do you know that I love you? He said, I do. He said, do you know that I want what's best for you? He said, I do. He said, I need you to be obedient and do what I'm asking you to do. And he said, okay, I don't agree, but I'll do what you're asking me to do. You know why? Because he believed me. Because he believed that I loved him. And I'm not saying I got this figured out and I'm a, I'm a screw up in every way when it comes to everything I do. But, but in this case, I've loved my son well and he could trust in that love. And I had to call that out of him. And sometimes I think God's saying to us, do you know that I love you? Do you know that I love you more than you can even imagine? Do you know that I know what's best for you? Do you know that I want to prosper you and not harm you? Do you know what's best for you? If I'm asking you to do it, it's going to go well for you. And if we listen to what the scriptures say, if we don't do what he's asking us to do, it's all a house of cards anyway. And when the wind blows, it's all going to collapse. And so Jesus says, you want to know what it looks like to be Joe Grow? It's anyone who comes to me. Anyone who listens to what I say and puts them into practice. It's anyone, so the phrase we use around here, who hears and obeys. What does it look like for Joe Grow? It's someone who hears and obeys. We want to be a church that helps you to come to Jesus. We want to be a church that helps you to hear Jesus in your own life. We want to be a church that helps you to be obedient as you walk out your faith with Jesus. To hear and obey. Jesus actually said, I don't say anything unless the Father tells me to. He said, I don't do anything unless the Father tells you to. Actually, he said, I don't say anything or I don't even, I don't even, I even say it the way God told me to. He's not just obedient to the words, but he's obedient to the delivery of the words. This is Jesus. He was that dependent on God. How much more so for us to get to that place where we're so in sync with God that what we say and what we do is because the Spirit prompts us to say and to do it. I'm going to invite Norflet to come up, and he's going he's to sing a song for us. And I just want to encourage you to listen. I want to encourage you to, to hear what God has to say. I guarantee you that some of you knew before you walked in the doors what God was asking you to do. God's been asking you to do it for a while. And you've been resistant. And you knew, even walking in, that you were going to have to face the music. Some of you heard something today. And my encouragement to you as you listen to it is make the commitment. Make the commitment to build a solid foundation. Make the commitment to do the very thing that God is calling you to do. Before he sings, let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you so much for the word of God. I thank you that we don't have to figure out what Joe Grow looks like because you told us. You said, this is what it looks like. The one who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, they're wise and they build a solid foundation. But those who hear my words and they don't do it, they build a house of cards. Thank you for the truth of that scripture. Help us to live into it as a church. Lord, help us to live on purpose. Help us to live for a purpose. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the spirit of God that is alive and active in our lives. In Jesus' name.
wanna be where you are. I wanna know, Lord, who you are. So when you call my 